Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Ladies and gentlemen, we somberly welcome you to the Hokey Hangover podcast. I am Andrew Alex, a talking head at ESPN Radio in Blacksburg. That's 93.1, 97.1, and live on the web at ESPNBlacksburg.com. I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, first, all the way from what I can only assume is Columbus, Ohio. In a Marriott again, perhaps? Oh, yeah. You bet. Oh, yeah. It's Mike McDaniel. You bet, Andrew. You For bet. All- hey, why so, why so somber? What's going on? Tech sucks. Who cares? Okay, uh, somber is the feeling that you get when you get crushed 45 to 10 at home against Duke. <laughs> I'm still emotionally recovering, despite the fact that perhaps it should have been expected. But for introduction's sake, that is Mike McDaniel. Tech Lunch Panel, Saturday Blitz, the Basketball Conference Podcast, amongst other places online. We are also joined by, from RickyLeBlue.com, that's the the LeBlue Review, that's a tongue twister almost, formerly of TechSideline.com. Ricky LeBlue, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm fine. I can't say the same for Virginia Tech Athletics at the moment, uh, but I'm doing pretty swell. Well, boys... Unfortunately, all we can do is cut to the chase. A Friday night game at Lane State. The biggest football program in the ACC. Juggernaut. Duke. Comes in. Coming off of the rebuild. (laughs) Where they've lost all of their offensive weapons. And their starting quarterback. Who was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. A game that many thought. Going back to the preseason. Everyone thought was a chalk in W for the Hokies. In a small sample size, maybe some thought there was a chance of a loss. Oh boy, was there a chance of a loss. Duke comes in and crushes Virginia Tech, a 45-10 final score. Duke wins on a Friday night in Lane Stadium. On ESPN, the Hokies dropped to 0-2 in the conference. The worst loss since... Before my father was in college, I believe, what was it? It was 1970-something. They lost to Houston by a little bit more. The year doesn't matter. Who cares? They got crushed. What in our previous episode we considered to be the worst possible case scenario, I mean, I guess we didn't even consider this to be the worst possible case scenario because no one imagined they would lose that badly. Ricky, the man who has been the negative Nancy all year, it seems as if you were the... uh, more correct of the three of us. Give me your thoughts from what went down Friday night at Lane Stadium. 
Virginia Tech was absolutely demolished in all three phases of the game. Um, <clears throat> the Hokies folded like a lawn chair as soon as Hendon Hooker and Keyshawn King fumbled that handoff, and the rest was history. Um, uh, I've I've been following Tech football for roughly 15 years, I guess, since I was about five or so, and I've never seen a team so mentally fragile as I as I saw on Friday night. Um, Tech has a lot of problems, and I think most of them are outside of X's and O's. Um, I, I honestly don't think that, that better play calling or um, some, some more talent at a couple positions would make that big of a difference. There is something genuinely wrong with Virginia Tech football right now, and that's what led me to pen a column on my site. Um, right after the game, that I think that, that this is this is a turning point for the entire program, um, not the one that you're going to be happy about 30 years from now. So, Virginia Tech um, looked like an FCS program on the field against Duke, which is absolutely incredible, given the fact that Duke had as much talent leave last year as they had, including the current starting quarterback for the New York Giants. So, um, the entire Virginia Tech football program is on on notice right now, um, and and they should be. Mike, obviously you were cued into the game. In the beginning, Tech's defense looked very good. They were swarming to the football. It seemed as if Bud Foster had figured something out. Tech's offense was, I guess, in the beginning, moving the ball. Unfortunately, couldn't come away with anything. Takes a three nothing lead. Again, the defense stops them. Tech gets the ball back. Hendon Hooker goes into the game. A bad pitch. Duke gets the ball. First play, touchdown. Duke leads 7-3. to three. They only had 24 yards of offense at that point. It seemed as if Tech was shutting them down. But it also seemed that after that moment, there was no coming back from it. And even when it was only 7-3, to three, it felt like that. Explain to me how the life got sucked out of that team so quickly. Well, it's pretty easy in my mind. Um, you know, turnovers have been an issue for the offense all year long. We saw that again Friday night. Um, you know, fumbles and interceptions have killed drives. You think about the interceptions thrown by Ryan Willis in the opener against Boston College. You think of the fumble that Trey Turner had against Furman that gave, you know, Furman an early lead in that game in week three. Think about, of course, the fumble on Friday night on the exchange between Hendon Hooker and Keyshawn King. You know, the offense has not been good at all, no matter who's been in the game. Um, the offensive line hasn't been good. The quarterback play has been atrocious. The running game hasn't been consistent enough. The receiving core has been banged up. There's a litany of issues with the offense that's that stem far beyond the play calling, as Ricky mentioned. The offense is setting the defense up for failure, and this defense is too young and too inexperienced, and I think they're, they've taken a step forward overall from a year ago. I do think they're a better unit than they were last year. That's a low bar, I understand. But this defense is too young and inexperienced on that side of the football to carry the team through games, especially in the ACC when they face quality competition against well-coached teams. I don't know how good Duke is. They're certainly better than Virginia Tech. I don't know if Duke is a top three team in the Coastal. I don't know if they're a bottom three team in the Coastal. We'll wait and see how this all shakes out this year. But they're certainly not 35 points better than Virginia Tech. And the fact that they were able to beat the Hokies that poorly says a lot about the state of the Virginia Tech football program right now. 
specifically to the defense and the issues they've had this year, obviously the pass rush has been very inconsistent, but the one thing that has been an issue all year long, they continue to be an issue against Duke. And in my opinion, is the reason why the game got out of hand. One of the many reasons why is the linebackers are having trouble with gap integrity in the running game. Um, you see linebackers unable to fill the correct gaps. So, you know, the defensive line, they can't get off their initial blocks and the running backs get to a second level. And these linebackers are lost out there. And that's a major, major issue that the Virginia Tech defense is facing right now. And Bud Foster, surprisingly, has been unable to correct now in two years, which is very, very shocking for a defensive coordinator of, of his stature, his experience, and, you know, his legacy and his resume. He's been unable to get this defense playing consistent enough on a regular basis going on two years now. And the linebacker play has been the most inconsistent that I've seen at Virginia Tech in quite some time. And I think that's why the defense has been inconsistent. I think the secondary has been improved. The defensive line's very young, but still very inexperienced. And you see the good and the bad. And when you see the bad, you don't have enough good in the linebacking core to kind of support that front four. So it's just been an inconsistent effort on both sides of the football. That's what it boils down to. And I think the most troubling thing for me is that you have a lot of young guys, in my opinion, that haven't been prepared enough or haven't been developed enough and are thrown into the fire either A, before they're ready, or B, uh, when they should be ready, and they're just simply not because the coaching staff hasn't gotten them prepared enough. So it's coming down to coaching. It's coming down to the players on the field. And overall right now, you're just seeing a team that can't play complimentary football on either side of the ball. Yeah, Ricky. As far as the defense goes, I, I agree with what Mike said that I guess the secondary has taken a step up. We knew that the defensive line going into the season was going to be a problem. To an extent, the play, even during this game, of guys like Taiwan Garbutt, of guys like Deshaun Crawford, the effort that we saw them put in was almost a pleasant surprise. But at the same time, after a quarter, the best defensive quarter that you could have even imagined in that first quarter for Virginia Tech on defense. Duke comes back out, they make an adjustment, and they let Quentin Harris, who by all accounts is a below-average Power 5 conference quarterback, they let him dink and dunk them down the field and play essentially the best game of his career so far against an opponent that at least is supposed to be in Virginia Tech, a quality opponent. Ricky, in short, what the hell happened? Again, I, I think it goes back to the fact that Tech's problems, in, in my opinion, are far greater than X's and O's. Uh, this program has a culture issue. They have, unfortunately, built a culture of losing over the last year and a half. And when we go on later in the pod, I'll, I'll go through some of the some of the stats that this program is facing right now. But but first of all, I want to I want to uh, draw everyone's attention to the stats for this game, and you can find these stats online if you go to uh, go to Google and you're smart, you know what you're doing. Uh, in the first quarter, Virginia Tech held Duke to zero rushing yards and five passing yards. Okay, how in the hell do you go from that to allowing seven scores in eight drives later in the game? How? I don't I don't care what kind of adjustments Duke made. There was obvious that the defense just completely fell apart. They have a, a lack of mental fortitude that is absolutely shocking for a, a team that is in the fourth year of Justin Fuente's uh, tenure. 
Um, it's it's just absolutely mind-boggling that a Bud Foster defense could go from such a stellar first quarter in which they they really showed Duke to be what uh, Alabama showed them to be, uh, and then they go out there at, in the second quarter on and just completely look like Swiss cheese. Uh, it was it was just an absolute embarrassment, um, and I I don't know that I've seen a defense get run like that in in such a condensed amount of time, three quarters of football where they just looked like one of the worst units in the ACC. Um, I know that wasn't really short, but yeah, I, I don't really know what happened other than the fact that this defense has zero leadership. Uh, they have zero resiliency, and that that is far greater than any X's and O's that Bud Foster and Justin Fuente could come up with. Yeah, Mike, and, and back to the offensive side of the ball, Ryan Willis on the day, 7 for 18, 112 yards, a touchdown and interception. He threw about two good balls in that game. The first was a big, I guess it was a crossing round almost over the middle uh, to Trey Turner, went off of his hands. Otherwise, it was the big touchdown to Hazleton. Outside of that, I mean, blame the play calling, blame whatever, blame him. He had seven completions. Seven. It was awful. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to shoot. I know, I know. I'm just saying everyone needs to realize Willis had seven completions. Hendon Hooker had one. Virginia Tech completed eight passes in this game against Duke, who is not a top 50 defense. Duke defense, who everyone and their mother who follows this conference thought that the chance that Virginia Tech had to expose Duke was Duke's veteran quarterback and experienced wide receivers versus a very young Duke defensive back group. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Mike. Ryan Willis, 344 yards in the first game, 272 yards in the second game, 123 against freaking Furman, 112 against Duke. He has eight touchdowns to five interceptions on the year. Explain to me what has happened to Ryan Willis, the guy who, based on what we saw last year, had everyone from Phil Steele to myself thinking that he'd be a top four quarterback in the ACC because that clearly hasn't happened. I don't know. I don't know. Um... Exactly what Ryan said when he when he was asked the same question. Now, now hold on, hold on. To be fair, there have been I think substantiated reports that Willis is injured, and and that and that Hendon Hooker is also injured. But and oh, Mike, I'll let you get back. But real quick, if you have two quarterbacks that are injured, stop freaking playing them. Stop. Yeah. Um. So here's here's something else I want to add on to that. Justin Fuente acts like injuries are like state secrets. So you're yeah. only putting your players in a like a worse spot when that happens and you keep trotting them out there and you don't disclose that they're hurt. You know, the fan base is impatient anyway. And then you put players out there at 50 and 60%. I'm not making any excuses for Ryan Willis because he was healthy during the Boston College game and threw three interceptions. <laughs> He was the reason why they lost that football game. Ryan Willis has not been very good this year. If he's hurt, he's hurt, though, and that's legitimate. And if it is legitimate and as legitimate as it seems to be, that is the reason why he hasn't played that well of late. But he would sit him on the bench. Sit him on the bench. There is no reason why, and this goes back to coaching, right? There's no reason why you, you shouldn't have somebody behind them developed, right? Like, Ryan Willis, if you're hurt, move on to the next guy, Hendon Hooker. If Hendon Hooker's hurt, move on to Quincy Patterson. I don't expect the third-string quarterback to play as well as the first or second-string quarterback. 
You know, nobody is expecting third string quarterback to play as well as the first or second string quarterback. Nobody in the fan base is. Everybody expects Quincy Patterson to be good at some point, but nobody has seen him play enough to really glean whether or not he's ready yet. By all indications, he's not ready. I've sat there, I've watched him in warmups. He does not look ready. But with that being said, if the first two guys in front of him are hurt, say that they're hurt, put him on the injury report, sit him down on the bench, play the third stringer. Because then at least as a coaching staff, you have an excuse if the offense plays like garbage. Right now, you have a guy that you're trotting out in Ryan Willis who has not played well beforehand, now is playing even worse that he's hurt. Hendon Hooker, inexplicably, is being told by Justin Fuente. Justin Fuente goes out and tells the fan base, tells the media. He's like, yeah, I'm comfortable with Hendon Hooker throwing the football. How come he hasn't thrown Ben when he's been in the game? Explain that to me. It doesn't make any sense. So if these guys are hurt, they're hurt. Sit them down. Don't play them. Play Quincy Patterson. If you're not comfortable playing Quincy Patterson, I'm sorry. You have no other choice. The other two guys are hurt. I really don't understand it. Um, and, and even beyond that, and one more thing real quick, even beyond all of this, Virginia Tech has set up their quarterbacks to fail. Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelison, they're supposed to be the quarterback whisperers, these offensive gurus, and they're supposed to have a juggernaut of an offense, but they t- lack total, utter sense of offensive identity. They can't run the football. They have a starting quarterback who doesn't fit the system. They refuse to fit the system around the guys they have, tailored to the receiving core, tailored to the starting quarterback that you have. They refuse to throw the football more. With Ryan Willis in the game, when even when he was healthy, they were running read option plays. He's not a threat to run. It makes absolutely no sense. They set up their quarterbacks to fail. They've set up the offense to fail. They lack total and complete offensive identity. And that's why they can't move the football right now. It's not that hard. Andrew, if you were a football coach and your backup quarterback who was in his third year in the program, third year, and you won't let him throw the football, you shouldn't be a quarterback coach. And the fact that they do not trust Hendon Hooker to throw the football, I don't care what he says in the press conference, they clearly don't trust him to throw the football. It's an indictment on Justin Fuente. It's an indictment on Brad Cornelson that they have not been able to get this guy developed. And and he was their hand-picked guy. This was the first quarterback that they handpicked and said, this is the guy we want running our offense. This is the guy we want to build around. He's in year three. He's already entered the porter once, and it didn't work out. Nobody wanted him. He comes back to Blacksburg, and they've done zero development on him. He has not gotten better in any discernible fashion. And I think that falls almost all on Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson. Well, I'm not here to make excuses for Justin Fuente. I'm, maybe I'm here to make excuses for Ryan Willis and Hendon Hooker only if the reports that we're getting on the ground are true, right? Which is that Ryan Willis is seriously hurt. Apparently, Hendon Hooker is also hurt. Apparently, he's got a torn labrum in his non-throwing arm, or whatever that's worth. I'm not a doctor. But at the end of the day, right, if the perceived excuse of going Hendon, Ryan, Ryan, Hendon, drive for drive, like, who the hell, first of all, who the hell does that? And if the excuse is to, oh, minimize injury risk by get like, you know, pain management, essentially, at that point, from an optics standpoint, you might as well just put Quincy in and concede the game and say it's better off for us if option A and option B are that fragile at this point that we have to switch them in and out to make sure they don't get hurt. Put in Quincy, concede the game, and hope that you can write the shit next week. Just see what you got. 
just see what you've got at the very least, right? Like, if both quarterbacks in front of Quincy Patterson are hurt, Quincy Patterson's already used his red shirt. He's a redshirt freshman. He's just losing eligibility sitting there. See what you got, right? And you can sell that to the fan base at least. The fan base has been clamoring for Quincy Patterson anyway. You got the irrational fans that think he's ready to play. I mean, he's probably not ready to play. He doesn't throw the football well in warmups. I mean, just throw him out there and see how he does. I mean, at the very least, he gets in-game experience. You can sell it to the fan base as, look, Quincy, Quincy Patterson is the only healthy quarterback we have on the roster. Hendon Hooker's hurt. Ryan Willis is hurt. And even if Quincy Patterson goes in there and takes his lumps, at least he's getting game experience. He can have an opportunity to improve. Is that what this is all about anyway? And you can at least sell that to the fan base. If the offense doesn't look very good, you can say, hey, look, this kid's a redshirt freshman in his first true game action. Let's see how he does. Let's see how he improves. We have a banged up roster anyway. Maybe this is another rebuilding year. You can at least sell that to the fan base. Do you guys want to guess how many combined pass attempts that Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson have? Is it one? No, but it's seven. Seven. As many times as Ryan Willis has come out of the game and, and you, you give your backup quarterback seven attempts to throw the football, you clearly don't trust them to throw the ball. So stop saying that you do. And if you don't trust them to throw the football, then admit that it's your fault. It, it, I mean, I just it's it's absolutely incredible because Gerard Evans here in 2016 completely transformed his game and became one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC and ultimately left far too early to go to the NFL. Um, a story Josh you Jackson, broke, Ricky. A story yeah. you broke. I remember that. I'll give you credit. Well, th thank you, thank you. Anyway, then you get a guy, Josh Jackson, who's a redshirt freshman, uh, and he he actually got off to a really hot start in 2017. Since then, Virginia Tech's quarterbacks have been mediocre at best and awful at worst, and it's it's just shocking that Justin Fuente, who has so much of a track record in developing quarterbacks has had this happen over his tenure in the last year and a half. And I guess, I mean, I don't know how much more we can talk about the Duke game because it, it, it wasn't you know worth what, watching. Andrew, the, the, the Duke I, game means nothing at this point. All the X's and O's from that game, all the stats from that game, it means nothing. Because in, in deep down, and I wrote about this before that the game even got, got going, Tech's coastal chances are over. I don't care that, that the Coastal is such a, a mess and that Coastal chaos is a thing again. Ha, ha, ha. Tech is 0-2, and they look in the Coastal right now. I mean, and that includes Georgia Tech. That includes Georgia Tech, guys. We'll preface. We're all freaking rooting for Virginia Tech. I'm rooting for Virginia Tech as hard as anyone out there. I want them to succeed. I want Justin Fuente to succeed. I want Ryan Willis to emerge as the greatest quarterback that Virginia Tech has ever had. Nothing personal, but the sample size that we have seen, we are a third of the way through the season. And this team that was bad has found a way to regress. And the teams that were bad last year have found a way to at least show signs of significant improvement. The best possible case scenario I can imagine, and this is the best possible case scenario, is somehow figuring out a way to get six wins. Very unlikely to happen. You look at the schedule going forward, it's daunting. Duke and Boston College were supposed to be your wins at the beginning. That would allow you to have some breathing room in a season where, despite the fact that they had the easiest schedule in the Coastal, would lead to a North Carolina team that seems like they're better than we thought, hung in there with Clemson, 
a Wake Forest team that's clearly better than we thought, a Pitt team that was supposed to be down, that looks like a loss. They're not going to be favored in any game going forward outside of Rhode Island and Georgia Tech. And even at that, how can you put your confidence in them going forward? So I guess this is the overarching theme here that we need to get to. I wasn't one to pick up the pitchfork and the torch. The Fire Fuente crowd that's been there on Twitter for a long time is a crowd that I have done my best to ignore. But you bring in 60,000 strong, including some of your biggest donors, to a Friday night game at Lane and get demolished in the way that they did. And it's as if the balloon has deflated with the confidence of the serious people around this program with this coach. Guys, and Ricky, you can go first. Where do we stand? Uh, I mean, for me, Friday's game was was kind of the end in, in my my belief that Justin Fuente was going to be the guy to get this program to the next level. Uh, I, I've been thinking that for ever since he got hired. I thought it was a slam dunk hire. Uh, he was obviously an excellent coach in year one. I thought he did a pretty damn good job in year two, as many injuries as they had and as young as they were at so many spots. Um, but what I've seen from this program over the last year and a half, and really, if, if you look at recruiting even longer than that, um, this program is not trending in the right direction. And here's a, a few things in, in case you, you know, you guys, the guys that are listening aren't really sure about the direction that, that tech is headed. Tech is, is eight and nine since the start of the last season. Y'all want to guess who those eight wins are against answer. None of them are good teams. William and Mary, Florida state, Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, Marshall, Furman, and old dominion. Does anyone on that list? Is that a good win? Any of those wins? No, the answer is no. Okay, since the uh, well, not last year. Last Virginia year. would be a pretty good. Virginia would be a good win this year. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah. And last year, no, it was not. It would have happened now. Fairness, in fairness, it wouldn't have been a horrible loss. But continue. I get the point. Okay. All right. So since the start of last season, Tech is four and six against the ACC. Is that is that trending in the right direction? No. Nope. Nope. To me. This is the most damning one, okay? Since last season, Tech's point differential against the ACC is minus 105. 105, okay? Not one, not 15, not 100, or not 50, 105, okay? They are uh, more than 100 points worse than, I guess, an average ACC team. That's just absolutely pitiful. They're one and four in at home against the ACC since the start of last season. Lane Stadium is supposed to be this this cauldron of noise and is supposed to be one of the most intimidating venues to play in, and at least over the last year and a half, it's just not. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's it's actually pretty welcoming for for road teams. Friday night's loss was the worst uh, loss in in program history since 1974. Last season, we all, we all know, was the first losing record that they've had since 1992. And in terms of the recruiting, and this is the one where I think a lot of fans overlook because this kind of shows where this program is going under the current leadership. Here is the, the 247 sports composite rating, okay? This is their, the recruiting ranking since the 2017 class, which was the first class that Justin Fuente got, okay? 26th, 24th. Does this include or disclude the 2020 class? I, I was going to get to that. Okay, so 2017, 26, 
The 2020 class is currently ranked 72nd. 72nd, worst in the ACC. So if you if you were to evaluate this program from top to bottom, there are some facility improvements that Justin Fuente has been an integral part of securing, um, and I think it's fair to give him credit for that. But the player development has utterly failed under Justin Fuente. They have been battling injuries all along the team, and it seems like this is even more of an issue than it was when the previous strength and conditioning staff was here. Uh, he's yet to have really a landmark win under his belt. His teams have been awful against the ACC, and they've been even worse at against the ACC at home. Um, and, and he's in danger of presiding over the 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 end of Virginia Tech's two streaks that have defined the program for the last fifteen to twenty plus years. Um, when you put all these these things together, I don't understand how anyone can still have confidence that the co the coaching staff, as constituted, is going to get Tech to where Tech wants to be. Mike, where do you see the problem? What's the base of the problem in your mind? Quarterback development. That's it. That's what. So I'm I'm fully in the camp of quarterback development. I don't think it's recruiting. I mean, Ricky, you mentioned the the top twenty classes that Fuente has authored since he's been at Virginia Tech. When he took over the program, Virginia Tech was a perennial six and seven win team. I mean, this wasn't a program that was. A, essentially on the upswing. I mean, the last three or four years of Beamer were pretty rough. Um, yeah, but things Fuente, aren't getting better. No, 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 no. So listen, so so Fuente comes in, he recruits at a level that I would expect him to recruit to, right? Like, I, he had his fair share of misses. We've talked about the running back misses on this show in particular, right? We've talked about the miss with Devin Ford, with Ricky Slade in the running back room. You know, in regards to Virginia Tech's inability to run the football well and the misses they've had there. But overall, you know, he's pulled in some pretty solid recruits. The issue that I see with Virginia Tech right now is player development and specifically quarterback development. I mean, I think the defense last year was historically young. Virginia Tech remains the youngest team in the country. They only have three seniors now on the roster that are healthy after the Tyrell Smith injury. This is a roster right now that has been in transition for about a year and a half. They lose... You know, Trayvon Hill, who was, uh, you know, obviously a problem in the locker room, but he would have been a senior. You lost Mook Reynolds, who had issues off the field. He would have been a senior. Um, you know, you lose Eric Kuma. He would have been a senior. Chris Cunningham, he would have been a senior. You blame this on the coaching staff for being unable to rein in these guys and the cultural issues that they had brought to the locker room. But at the same time, you now only have three to four seniors on the roster, four at the beginning of the year, of course. You haven't developed any of the quarterbacks, and you haven't really developed the offensive line to a level where you have the depth ready to play when there's injuries up front. We talked about that at the outset of the season. If there's one thing Virginia Tech couldn't afford, it was injuries up front on the offensive line and injuries in the secondary. Lucky for Virginia Tech, the secondary has been pretty healthy. Unluckily for Virginia Tech, the offensive line has not been healthy, and you have a lot of freshmen thrown into action before they're ready. And more importantly, in my opinion, you have quarterbacks who are not prepared to play. And that's the biggest indictment, in my opinion, on Justin Fuente and Brad Nelson. And you know what? Bud Foster, defensively, for as, you know, while the defense has looked better this year, it's an indictment on Bud Foster that he can't get his linebackers ready to play. It's unbelievable to me that they're missing the tackles they're missing. They're not filling the gaps that they should. 
it's just they're getting absolutely gashed. And, you know, for the first time all year against Duke, and we didn't bring this up earlier, Virginia Tech's defense has been a pretty resilient group all year long. That game against Duke reminded me of the unit we saw last year that folded up at the first sign of trouble, and that was the biggest issue in my opinion. Dax Hollyfield has gotten worse, worse. Under, uh, on, uh, for this season. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's also shocking, given that Bud has taken such ownership of his development. Yep. My buddy Chris Coleman mentioned it today on the uh, when we talked to him on the radio. He said Dax Hollyfield is basically grading out to be about half as worse, right? A 55 PFF grade for Dax Hollyfield in the same amount of stats as Alan Tisdale, where Alan Tisdale is a 90. Get Dax Holyfield off the field then. <laughs> Come on. But Ricky, I want to actually mention something to you here. You were very critical on Twitter earlier this week about a Dan Wolken article that had some paragraphs that were defensive of Justin. Uh, insofar as kind of the point that Mike brought up earlier, that Virginia Tech, at the end of the Frank Beamer era, was nowhere near a powerhouse. Now, remember, in 2012, 2014, 2015, that's three of the final four years of the Beamer era. They go into that UVA game five and six. Same situation as last year, give or take, assuming that they would have gotten that East Carolina win and wouldn't have had to schedule the Marshall game. It would have been basically the same. Fuente goes 10 and four in his first season, nine and four in his second season. The devil's advocate would say that this is just a road bump and that the only difference between what Justin did last season prior to this season, right? And who knows where this will go from here. But that's nearly identical to the same regular season caliber quality that Beamer was putting out from 2012 to 2015. Fuente is still a 10 win, 10 wins over 500 overall. I mean, I, I don't, I don't how, see how the regression how do you can't be laid at his feet. The this is his program. He's in year four. Or how four. do you blame the regression? The, the, the entire roster is, is comprised of Justin Fuente recruits at this point. Um, your, your staff recruited these players. Your staff is developing these players, or lack of development, if you want to call it that. Justin Fuente has to take ownership of this. And I understand that in terms of win-loss, and, and even in some of the performance, because let's be honest, some of the performances at the end of the Beamer era were terrible. Um, and I understand that this is somewhat comparable to that to that era, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. Nobody was okay with Frank and his team struggling to win seven games a year and struggling to beat UVA. Frank Beamer had more clout. Frank had, well, fairness, Frank had a I longer think, I, I leash. Think more people you know okay what? He that. damn well earned it. Justin Fuente has not earned the kind of leash that Frank Beamer has earned. Justin Fuente did a very excellent job at Memphis, turning around one of the worst FBS programs into a very, very good group of five program um, that is about to probably send another coach to to the Power Five uh, and Mike Norvell. Um, but no, you, I don't think you can excuse what Justin Fuente has done here. And, and this is coming from someone, again, who has been a vocal supporter of Justin Fuente and has believed in him since day one. But I don't think you can call a year and a half's worth of pitiful football a road bump. I think this is a, a downward spiral that this program is under. And Justin Fuente has to take full-on ownership. Now, let's be let's give him credit. He has. He hasn't gone into the press conferences and blamed other people. You know, he's taking he's taking the blame because I think he's a, an honorable guy. But at some point, Justin has to realize that what he's doing right now is not working. It, the offensive scheme is not generating points. 
The defense, as constituted, is not getting the job done. The team has no resiliency and no mental fortitude at all. And a lot of this falls on Justin and the culture that he's created. And, I, and, I, and Ricky, I, I agree with you uh, pretty much completely. Mike, you actually picked Duke to beat Virginia Tech in this game. I'm assuming that you didn't expect the drumming that Virginia Tech received. You're clearly much more negative on Fuente and the program as a whole today than you were a week ago today. What stuck out to you that has changed your tone? Virginia Tech is a program that has no business losing by 35 points to a team like Duke. That's not an indictment at David Cutcliffe. It's not an indictment at Quentin Harris and all the good players that Duke has. But Virginia Tech, as a program, has no business losing by five touchdowns to a program like Duke. And that's where I've pivoted. Now, with that being said, I, I do think that there are issues that are correctable. For example, I do think Brad Cornelson should no longer be calling the plays. Now, I, with that being said, I understand that they're not going to make a change like that the week before they play Miami. They're going to wait until they have a bye week to make a change of that nature. Firing Brad Cornelson in the middle of the season, while it seems attractive to the entire fan base, and it would be welcomed by the entire fan base, it does not help anything to fire an assistant coach midway through the season. We're, I mean, it just, you're quitting on the season anyway, but in reality, you you take a look at where Virginia Tech is after four weeks, and if you want to take a glass half full view, they're still two and two, right? Like, this is a situation that has not looked good. They lost by five touchdowns to oh, Duke. Oh, jeez. Mike, I'm just like, I don't I, I don't know how you can you can even give that an optimistic look that they're two and two. Because I think if you looked at it on paper before the season, I mean, I think two and two, was, I mean, they have not looked good. The Duke game is inexcusable. There's no reason why Virginia Tech should be losing by five touchdowns. The Furman game is inexcusable. The fir Yeah, they didn't play well against Furman. I mean, the team hasn't looked good. But at the same time, you, you look at the record, you're still two and two. I just don't. The, the way I the way I look at things and burn everything down in the first week of October, I just don't see how that helps anything. I mean, at this point, you're, you know, if you fire Brad Cornelson, this team isn't all of a sudden going to finish like eight and four, right? Like I, it's it doesn't help anything by by firing him in the middle of the year. They're going to let him go at the end of the season. We know that. I think the one tangible thing that Virginia Tech can do moving forward that I think could help is have Justin Fuente call the plays and then figure out what you're going to do with Brad Cornelson at year end. I mean, all signs point to him being let go. Um, I, I don't see Virginia Tech paying a $15 million buyout to, to fire Justin Fuente and burn the whole thing down. I think it would have to be to the point where Virginia Tech is either A, not winning any games the rest of the year, or B, finishing like 3-9, and nine, which I suppose is on the table, and it's easy to say that after the way they looked against Duke, but it's one of those things where I, I just don't know what – you do in the middle of the season to fix this thing other than realize that you kind of are what you are at this point and firing Brad Cornelson firing Justin Fuente and you, you got to make the right hire if you're going to do all those things and when you're saddled with a 15 million dollar buyout I'm not sure who you're going to bring in that you're going to be able to pay enough to kind of make this thing turn the corner I think you fire the coordinators you get rid of Cornelson. You obviously have to replace Bud Foster. It's going to be tough to bring in a coach if you think that Justin Fuente is a lame duck. I get all of that, but I think that's what's most realistic at this point, given the amount of the buyout. 
But Mike, I mean, to the counterpoint of that, right? If you have, so obviously we know Bud Foster is going to be gone. And so one day's on the hot seat. Obviously, I understand that there's a possibility, a very outside possibility, that maybe they turn it around to some extent. But let's just take the realistic route and imagine they don't. You have Justin Fuente on the hot seat. You had 2010-20 as his rubber beats the road year. And so you're going to bring in a new offensive staff, a new defensive staff, and then you're going to clean house if it doesn't go well. And then in 2021, you would have a new head coach, new offensive staff, and new defensive staff, right? That would be basically every position having a new position coach, whether it be offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, running backs coach, head coach, what have it. It would be nearly three different coaches in three years. That doesn't scream stability. Is it better to try to cut ties right now and start new and and give the program the chemotherapy that it needs to try to get back to some semblance of something that can be productive going forward? I mean, if you look at Whip Babcock and you tell me that he's going to fire a coach who had one and a half years of bad football, I'm going to tell you you're crazy. I just don't see Whit Babcock doing it. Now, would I, do I think that it's a, it's a decision that would be supported by the fan base and could be the correct decision? Yeah, sure. I mean, I have no idea where this thing's going to go. I don't think there are any good options, right? Like, there are no good options right now. You have a team that's clearly spiraling in the wrong direction, like we've outlined. We're all in agreement with that. It has not been good from a player development standpoint. You don't have a quarterback that fits the offensive system you want to run, and that's one of a million problems that they have, right? But if you fire him now, you have a $15 million buyout. Who are you going to bring in and pay after paying a coach $15 million to not coach your team anymore? Where is the money going to come from to hire a competent football coach? I've yet to find that answer, right? And there are really no good answers here. That's that's why I'm here. And you're right. And you're right, Mikey. That you, there, the financial part of it is maybe the only thing that's going to hold Whip Babcock back this offseason because what he's seen Correct. over the last year and a half has been pitiful. But I think it also begs the question, how much negativity and how much damage are you willing to let happen and and at what point does that damage become worse than a $15 million nuclear bomb that you just have to take? I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much damage it is. I don't know what becomes a tolerable point, but I do know that at some point there will be irreparable damage. If this down, if this spot downward spiral continues, there will be a point where Virginia tech has endured so much that this will no longer be a a semi quick rebuild and we'll be looking at a full on absolutely teardown of uh, of this program from top to bottom and Virginia Tech doesn't no longer looks like kind of a middling team like North Carolina was last or this year when Mac Brown took over but instead they look like Rutgers let me let me jump in hey guys let me jump let me jump in real quick i'm going to ask something that's a little bit outside the box but let's just for the sake of argument because there really are no good options here let's say we go a few more weeks here we get to the bye week after north carolina game before notre dame and let's say justin fuente is now the play caller right 
I understand that issues run far beyond this, but let's say he's the play caller throughout the last quarter of the season, last third of the season, and the offense starts to look a little bit better, right? What do you do heading into next year, right? I don't care if you miss a bowl game. I don't care if you make a bowl game. Just if the offense looks a little bit better, then what do you do heading into 2020? In my opinion, you keep the offensive staff. Maybe you let Brad Cornelson go, but you keep maybe some of the other guys around him and you find a new defensive coordinator. And then you head into 2020 with Braxton Burmeister, Hendon Hooker, and Quincy Patterson still in the fold at quarterback, and you let the chips fall where they may because we've heard that Braxton Burmeister might be Fuente's guy heading into 2020 if he's still the head coach. And we see what we got heading into 2020 offensively. And maybe things look a little bit different with a sophomore and junior laden group on the defensive side of the football and maybe a little bit of life on offense. Do you think it's realistic that they keep most of the offensive staff at that point heading into 2020 and maybe not just do a complete overhaul on both sides of the football? I mean, I, I don't know. That's just something to consider. And it's a reason why I think Justin Fuente maybe should be calling the plays in the back half of the season. Now, if you're Justin Fuente, you inherited a defensive coordinator who was basically part B to the legend of Frank Beamer. And when you had Tremaine Edmonds, when you had a stout defensive line, when you had you know, six-plus guys that at least spent some time in the NFL on top of those that were first-round picks, on top of those that were excelling. Yeah, maybe having Bud Foster in the short term was a good move. But now, if you're Justin Fuente, when you have legend leaving the door, you're on the hot seat. A guy who has, unfortunately, for the legacy, clearly underperformed in the last year and change. And now he's leaving at your time of need, and you're going to have to replace him? Hindsight 2020, boy. Was keeping Bud Foster a bad move when you made this regime change? I think it's easy to say that now that Virginia Tech hasn't played well in the last year and a half, but when the decision was made, you know, going on four years ago, I thought it was a brilliant move, and it showed itself to be that way. In 2016, Virginia Tech goes to the ACC championship. The defense was filled with talent. They had continuity from Bud Foster. That's a big reason why the defense was as good as it was en route to heading to that ACC championship game. Uh, you look at the following year when the Hokies went 9-4 and four and Justin Fuente's second year, I thought that, again, the defense was pretty good. Again, a very veteran-laden group. 2018, a year ago, the defense loses 10 out of 11 starters because, let's face it, Ricky Walker wasn't healthy the whole year. You really only had Reggie Floyd, who was healthy from the year before, and, and you know a guy who was an upperclassman on that defense that was a returning starter. The defense really struggled. And then you're seeing the defense, you know, this year take steps forward. It hasn't been nearly as consistent. It was a horrible, horrible game that they played against Duke, and they folded up much like they did throughout all of last year. But you're seeing the defense, for the most part, take strides forward, which is what you want to see out of a group of freshmen and sophomores. They're playing a lot of freshmen on that defensive line, guys. <clears throat> this is a group overall is taking strides in the right direction. Do I think, now back to your original question, do I think keeping Bud Foster was a mistake? No. Has it worked out as well as everybody would have expected or imagined? No. But I think at the time it was the perfect move and you can't operate, you know, wondering what things are going to look like three or four years down the line. You got to operate in the present. And Bud Foster was the one guy who had continuity with a group that was returning a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. I think it was absolutely the right move at the time. 
it just hasn't worked out. It's one of those moves that just hasn't, you know, hasn't worked out well in the long run. Bud Foster's retiring at year end. Uh, it's probably good for all parties involved that he's that he's leaving. It just hasn't been a fit here the last couple of years, and it hasn't looked great here in his final year, unfortunately, so far. But the defense has a chance to continue to improve throughout the rest of the season and maybe show some signs of life heading into 2020. Ricky, your thoughts, because Fuente defenders will say that, you know, with Bud Foster still there, with a guy who was such an integral part of the old regime still there, of that Beamer regime, maybe Fuente didn't have full control of the program. And now with Foster leaving, and we'll assume for all intents and purposes, one year left, he's going to have to replace that legend with his job on the line. Is that really his fault? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, anyone who thinks that Fuente hasn't had control over this program is just being nonsensical. A, as much as Bud wanted that job, uh, Bud has been nothing but forthcoming and welcoming towards Justin Fuente. Uh, and even though Bud's performance over the last year and a half has been below average to awful at times, um, Bud Foster is is the reason that the transition works. One of the reasons that the transition worked so well, and without him, I think 2016 may have been a, a bit of a nightmare. Uh, 2017, Bud was probably the reason the team won nine games because the offense was bad in 2017. Um, you don't get a guy like Dax Hollyfield, who's got a ton of talent, to commit to this team without Bud Foster there. I know that the team hasn't recruited a ton, and Bud hasn't been recruiting. At a, as, as a high rate as he would like, but getting guys like Devin Hunter and, and Dax Hollyfield, even though they haven't developed as well, that's basically on Bud Foster. Um, so no, I don't think Tech made a mistake at all in bringing in, in keeping Bud, and I think that that was a terrific move. Uh, but to Mikey's point, Tech has the, the the move has not gone well over the last few years, and and Bud does share part of the blame on that because he has not gotten his team ready to play. Hit the, the linebacker that he handpicked, Dax Hollyfield, has regressed. Uh, his secondary is kind of all over the place. We've seen a, a bit of improvement, and we've seen some regression. And the defensive line, which his buddy Charlie Wiles has been coaching now for 20-odd years, the defensive line has been bad, and, and they didn't emphasize the defensive line enough early on in Justin Fuente's tenure. Uh, so I think, obviously, Bud shares part of the blame, but if you look around the country, I don't know of many defensive coordinators that Tech could realistically go get that would put together a successful defense given the, the kind of tools that they have uh, in the toolbox. Yeah, and to your point, guys, what I will say here, let's just bring the whole thing full circle. There's obviously three realistic options here, right? You either accept that it is what it is, and you keep everything intact. Obviously, you'll still have to replace the defensive coordinator at the end of the year. You say the team is young, whatever. Let's go forward. Cornelson stays. Everything stays the same. You hope that eventually your freshmen and sophomores on whatever side of the ball will develop into the players that you want to, that you believe when you recruited them, would fit the system. Option B, obviously, would be outside of Bud leaving you make significant changes on the coaching staff on both sides of the ball. And option C is fire sale, complete overhaul, reset button. I want you to answer it in two ways. 
One, acknowledging the financial restraints that Justin Fuente's contract has. And two, imagining that it's not a problem. Imagining that pretend, the super rich donor, Andrew Alex, will donate $15 million to pay off everybody. And that you can do whatever you want. What do you guys do? Well, if we're going the super rich donor option, I think you just completely clean house. Um, I don't think that's realistic. So I think what's most likely to happen is Justin Fuente takes over the play calling later in the year, which I think is definitely on the table. I don't care what he says in press conferences. I don't care how much he says he believes in Brad Cornelson. If he wants to be dead man walking, that's fine. And if that's going to be the case, keep having Brad Cornelson call plays for the rest of the year. That's fine. What I think is going to happen is Brad Cornelson is going to be relieved of his play calling duties and then later relieved of his job at season's end. I think they're going to replace defensive coordinator. Now, I don't know what the options are going to be given Justin Fuente's job status heading into 2020. We'll have to see how this pans out throughout the rest of the season and if the team improves at all. Let's let's say that the team continues on the same trajectory and we're talking about, you know, four, maybe five win Virginia Tech that misses a bowl game. Justin Fuente is most certainly on the hot seat heading into 2020 at that point. If that's the case, I think a realistic option is promoting from within for defensive coordinator, because I'm not sure who you're going to bring in from the outside who's going to be willing to take a chance with Justin Fuente, given how bad the last two years have been in that scenario, right? Well, Mike, who are you going to promote from the inside? Justin Hamilton, who has exactly one year of experience coaching at any level in Power 5 college football? No, and this is going to be a tough sell for the fan base, mostly because of what Ricky just said in regards to the defensive line not playing very well. But I think if they're going to promote within, I think Charlie Wiles is the most logical option. And again, it's not a great option, but I think given the Given the state of the program, the scenario, Virginia Tech is a four or five win program. I'm not sure who they bring in a defensive coordinator. I think offensive coordinator is a little bit easier to replace if you have Justin Fuente calling the plays. I think you have a little bit more flexibility in who you bring in from that standpoint because it's really just a guy who's going to help develop the offensive game plan at that point, not necessarily call the plays. I think the more pertinent coordinator hire in that scenario is going to be on the defensive side of the football and replacing Bud Foster, which was going to be a tough, uh, you know, a tough shoe to fill all along, right? This was going to be a tough position to fill, even if Virginia Tech was good. So, you know, I think it's more pertinent that they replace Bud Foster, and that's assuming that Justin Fuente takes over the play calling duties. Um, I I think that's the most logical route that this coaching staff heads in and with Babcock heads in going into 2020, because I don't see him paying a $15 million buyout unless this team doesn't win a game the rest of the year. If that's the case, then he has no choice. He's going to fire everybody and figure out the finances later. I mean, one more question, I guess for Ricky, I guess you can answer this question and go back and answer my original from a defensive coordinator perspective. There's obviously going to be growing pains in any change. Right. And we know that we're switching defensive coordinators. Do you have to bring in someone that runs that same system as Bud Foster just to avoid that one year of growing pains, especially for Justin Fuente, knowing that you can't afford a year of growing pains because your job is on the line? Yeah, he's going to have to bring in somebody who runs a, a, a similar, um, a similar, similar packages, similar formations, similar schemes in order to make sure that there is some sort of continuity on the roster. You, he definitely could not go like the Georgia Tech route and abandon the triple option and do the, do the defensive equivalent of that. So we're not going to see any any hires for guys that run the 3-3-5 or anything like that. 
um, which I guess was a rumor uh, a couple or a couple years ago that Justin Fuente wanted to run the three three five. I don't know. I, I never was substantiated. Um, I, I think when you talk about the changes for this team, we can do a little bit of. I know Andrew, you and I love this podcast, the Redskins Talk podcast. My favorite game is the should and will, and I think for for should. I think Virginia Tech just needs to to clean house at the end of the season. Um, I know the buyouts there, um, but at this point, I, I don't I don't see any things getting any better, and I think you're better off cutting ties, um, and that includes the head coach. I think what will happen is almost nothing. I don't think that Justin Fuente is going to take over the play calling duties. Um, I don't think that we're going to see any sort of substantial changes for the rest of the season. And I would even go a, a step further on the on the should part. If, even if you don't want to fire Justin Fuente, I think uh, Fuente would definitely need to relieve Brad Cornelson of his duties now and take over the play calling duties and try and talk Jerry Kill into taking over the offensive coordinator role in an interim basis. Um, I would also make a change at quarterback and go with Quincy Patterson. And I would tailor the entire offense around Quincy and I would try and find a yep. way to make him as comfortable yep. as possible while understanding that your offense is going to be limited and these are the cards you've dealt with. And I would run this at least until you have a healthy quarterback who's better. Because right now, Hendon Hooker, if he has a, a torn labrum, I don't care if it's in his throwing shoulder. You know he's hurting. Uh, Ryan Willis has, I think, some sort of ankle injury, so that's going to be something that could nag on for the rest of the season. Um, I, I think at this point, Fuente needs to realize he's coaching for for next year, um, and Quincy Patterson is probably the guy best suited of the people who are currently eligible to start next season. You might as well get him some reps now and see if he can maybe help you out later down the road. Well, Ricky, to, your, to what you're saying, though, I mean, the only way that Fuente is going to coach for next season is with a guarantee that he will be here next season. Do you believe that guarantee has or will be made by Whit Babcock? I I really don't know. I mean, I know that Whit Babcock is, is someone who is loath to make rash decisions. He's not somebody who's going to rush to things. He's definitely going to be someone who is going to be steadfast and let things play out, maybe even to a fault. Um, my, if I had to bet on either one, I'd say that he probably has told Justin that Justin will be back next season. Um, not maybe because Whip Babcock is pleased with what he's seeing, because I know he's not, but just because Babcock understands the financial realities of the situation and that Whip's hands are a bit tied here and um, there are really no good options on the table. And I can understand how some people would view that the best option on the table is to let it ride with Justin Fuente. I just don't believe that at this point. Yeah, and Andrew, you asked if there was a guarantee that Justin Fuente would stay or, you know, has gotten reassurance from Whit Babcock, I guess is what you're implying. I think that the guarantee was made when buyout was $15 million after this season. I think that's his Yeah, point. as soon as he gave him that second exactly. extension. Exactly, as soon as he got that second extension, I mean, the— that was the guarantee because you know that Virginia Tech is not going to be able to pay $15 million unless it gets really, really bad. And like I've said, they'll find the money somewhere if it's bad enough, but they don't want to do that unless they're absolutely forced to. And I think that that's what Whit Babcock understands. Like Ricky just mentioned, the financial implications of the whole thing. It's just really, really tough to get rid of a head coach 
with that type of buyout because what you do is you saddle the program for years to come because you can't necessarily hire your top guy moving forward because you can't freaking find a way to pay him. That's the, that's the biggest thing over this entire cloud. It's just going to be very, very, very tough for Virginia Tech to pay a guy to be a next head coach if they get rid of Justin Fuente at year end. Doesn't mean they won't do it. It has to be really, really, really bad for it to get to that point, though. I'm talking two or three wins bad, which is certainly on the table well, with the way they've looked. And my, and my question is, what are the odds we get to that point? I think they're about as high as they're, I mean, the, I, I, I think the odds of, I think there's three lanes, right? There's the odds where, and they might all be equally as likely. There's the odds that they win against Georgia Tech. They win against Rhode Island. And maybe they sneak one more win in there. To that point, you have five wins. You finish five and seven. And the argument would be, well, the bowl streak's over, and in all likelihood, the UVA streak's over. And you could say, oh, well, Gary Patterson had bad years at TCU, and Chip Kelly had bad, not Chip Kelly, Brian Kelly had bad years at Notre Dame, and they were able to right the ship. The team was young. The offensive line was young. 2020 is the year. This is the litmus. Frank Beamer had bad years. Sorry, just want to throw that in there, too. Like, that was before Virginia Tech was on the map. I get it, and it was a different situation. Yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech yeah, was an I, awful football program. The expectations were a lot well, lower. I, I, I hate to sidebar with an Andrew story, but this is a good one. I'll make it short. When my dad went to Duke, he was the sports editor of the Duke Chronicle, the school newspaper. After three years, Duke basketball had done horrible, and he penned an article called Coach K's Report Card, gave him a C-minus, and called for his fire. and you know i mean yeah if it were if frank beamer went two and nine in in 2019 then yeah everyone would have been calling for his firing but i don't think that anyone should use that as a justification for justin fuente to keep his job if you want to make an argument that fuente deserves to keep his job then you can make that argument i don't necessarily agree with it but there's an argument to be made there um, but it's certainly not because, oh, Dabo Sweeney went six and seven at Clemson and now Clemson's an absolute juggernaut. I, I don't think that that's the argument I'm, I'm, I'm here for. Well, one other thing to consider, though, is what happens if you do fire the coach, right? Because if, if you clean house, thank you. Oh, I haven't even gotten that far. Yeah. All I'm I saying, haven't... though, and this is something to think about, in the current college football landscape, you let Justin go. That gives free reign to every single player in that locker room to look at themselves as a free agent and say, where do yep. I want to play next year? Do I want to play? Hold on. Well, is yep, that, is that is. such a bad thing? For Yeah, it absolutely is are a you, bad are thing. You, are you sure? Doug Dester, Given the fact that this roster has, has been, hold on, hold on. This roster has been inculcated with losing for the last year and a half. I, I mean, I, I, all I'm saying is at some point, you need to wipe clean everywhere. I disagree. I, I look, I'm, disagree. I'm with Andrew on this too. Like you have a recruiting class ranked dead last in the ACC heading into 2020. I mean, you want to see this thing spiral out of control quickly. You have one of the worst recruiting classes in Virginia Tech history coming in next year, and you compound it with all the players leaving. It's going to get really, really bad before it gets. Okay, but that's how you turn to Rutgers. 
But if you're but if you're firing Justin Fuente, you're accepting the fact that this team needs a full I, okay, rebuild that's, anyway. That's Maybe that's why I'm hesitant to do it, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. But at a certain point, I mean, I don't, and I know everyone has a different point that they reach. But at a certain point, you have to realize that this program is, at least in my opinion, dead in the water right now. I don't see any any likely road to significant improvement under the current staff. Um, and I, I'm basing that just off of what we've seen over the last four years. And at a certain point, you have to wonder how far are you willing to let this go down the drain before you realize or before you decide that you've had enough and it's worth starting from scratch. Well, where I disagree with you, though, is that, I mean, obviously the last whatever it is, 13 months of football has been piss poor. But 14 months ago, we were all thanking the heavens that Justin Fuente was, quote, loyal, that he didn't go to Florida State, that he didn't go to LSU because we believed in him as a coach. And we saw what he can do when he has talent on the roster. And the reality of the situation is that this team is young as hell. Yeah, but they're all guys that he recruited, and he's in his fourth year. So he's got enough players on the roster, in my opinion that are in the third year of the program, and they should be able to produce at this point, and they're not. I mean, you still got Trey Turner. You still got Hazleton, who's in his second year of the program with a year left. You still got a, a bunch of guys. Yeah, I mean, and they have had some people they've hit on. Rayshard Ashby is the one that comes to mind defensively. I think that was an absolute gem that they found, a guy who was kind of a mid-level three-star prospect. But if you go up and down the board, whether it's offensive line, running back, quarterback, defensive line, maybe even linebacker now that Dax Hollifield is regressing you go to cornerback and safety this team has failed to recruit failed to recruit and develop consistently at several positions and it's left them thin because they don't have anyone that they can rely on outside of maybe three or four guys yeah they've been thin at defensive back uh, I, you know the defensive line i think they've recruited okay um linebacker i mean ashby is the <laughs> is the standard yes right? ashby they, is a very very good player and without ashby this defense would be even in more trouble than they're in right now yep yeah so ashby is the one obvious choice like defensive back they're really thin offensive line i think all things considered they're just young there right more than anything else running back is an obvious miss in my opinion and quarterback is an obvious miss in my opinion because even though you recruited quincy patterson as an elite 11 quarterback he is not developed even though you recruited hendon hooker as a guy coming in from North Carolina that you pegged as your your next big time quarterback in Virginia and, Tech. And you went and took a guy who couldn't cut it at Kansas and brought him into your program. Yep. Because yep. you thought you so, could develop into something. And Ryan Willis Yeah, and well I mean and, and Willis wasn't super bad last year, but we saw that Willis was a bit limited in his game and now we're seeing bad Ryan Willis. And and that and that's all on the coaching staff because they went and got this guy. Well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong about Willis, and to the extent that obviously, I mean, like Josh Jackson's gone. We don't even need to talk about him. Uh, but the my point in the world of Devil's Advocate is that if we were a Wake Forest podcast, right, or a who knows what podcast, and we were breaking down Virginia Tech. And you say they have three freshmen on the offensive line, a freshman running back, a bunch of wide receivers who are either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. They got a couple of experienced guys there, freshmen and guys who just came out of JUCO all along the defensive line, 
redshirt sophomores, redshirt freshmen at DB, a redshirt sophomore as their play caller on the defensive side of the ball, you would say, yeah, we'll probably win this game regardless of the fact that it's Virginia Tech because this is the potential to be a down year. So when you're saying that I don't see any reasonable path back, my counterpoint is, in theory, they could make it back. I'm not saying they will. And I, if they were to clean house, I understand just because of the point of what I was saying before. You don't want to have three different defensive coordinators in three years for 2019, 2020, to 2021 if you have to make that coaching staff change. How different does this look? How different does this look if Virginia Tech were to upset Miami this weekend? How different does this look? Uh, I, I don't know that I would think it's massively different given the fact that Miami is a shell of its former self and their head coach publicly called his team diseased. And that's, yeah. that's, a, that's an actual quote from an actual Division I football coach using that word to describe his own team. So no, if they go on the road and they beat a Miami team that has done nothing but underachieve for the last four seasons, then no, it's not really going to change my mind all that much. If Virginia Tech comes out this year and, and somehow wins eight games, then yeah, I think that would change my mind. But what are the odds of that happening? Zero. Yeah, but if they win six games, then that might change things. I mean, if, if they go if they go this season winning six and six, that's not going to change my mind. It's just well, not. Well, Ricky, realistically, what's this team stealing? Like, how much could you expect? Coming into the season, I was expecting eight wins. Given how weak this schedule was, given the fact that they're facing two FCS teams on the schedule and the ACC Coastal was as wide open as it's ever been, Virginia Tech should have been able to win eight games this year, given the talent on the roster. But we've seen this team fold like a lawn chair now for not the first time under Justin Fuente's tenure. He's got injuries up and down the roster. None of the three quarterbacks are capable of playing efficient football. The running game isn't there. The defense let Duke score seven times in eight drives after putting together a masterful first quarter. I don't see how this team is going to be capable of winning six to seven games this year, even though coming into the season on paper, they had the talent to be an eight-win team. Well, you're not wrong. And, and, and this goes back to my point earlier in the pod. I don't know if the problems are so much X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. I think there's a serious issue with the culture of this program, and I can't put my finger on it. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how to fix it. But something just does not feel right that Virginia Tech has been absolutely blasted at home under Justin Fuente on a consistent basis. Now, granted, this went back to the end of the Frank Beamer era. So for everyone listening, I'm not just giving that up. But Virginia Tech has been blasted in the ACC over the last year and a half. And they look like one of the worst teams in the ACC. And that's a standard that Virginia Tech just is not is not going to be held to. The only thing I will, the only thing I'll add real quick too is, you know, even though Virginia Tech has not played well the last year and a half, and I mentioned this isn't an excuse, it's just a fact. They are a young roster. This isn't like when Clemson has a young roster and they got a bunch of five-star recruits. We have a young roster with a bunch of three-star recruits that have either a not yet been developed or b are in their second or third years in the program and have not been developed well. The lack of senior leadership the last two years, last year and a half, in my opinion, is one of the major reasons why the program 
is facing culture issues that extend far beyond Eric Kuma, Trayvon Hill, Chris Cunningham, Mook Reynolds, all those guys who departed. It goes far beyond that because they've had no senior leadership for a year and a half. They've got no guys who know how to lead. And the one guy who they look to to be their leader, Ryan Willis, at the quarterback position, A, has not led them well, and B, has not played very well. And that is a very bad combination. And real quick, I I get that point, but this is Justin Fuente's fourth season at Virginia Tech. This is not year one. This is not year two. This is year four. I mean, I will say that uh, it was a foolish move because it it was no secret that this team was going to remain young, blah, 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 and to go out with the PR stunts that they went out with. Oh, thank you, Andrew. That's That's such a good point. What an idiotic! And move. and 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 can I can I call myself out real quick? Because I bought it hook hook line and sinker. I I I bit on it so hard, and I actually felt really optimistic coming into the season. And boy, was all that a bunch of nonsense! Because this team looks like they have no identity, no leadership, no positive vibes. I don't care what kind of positive videos you tweet out on on Twitter or that you post on IG. It doesn't matter if your team turns it over after a decent quarter of football and then completely just runs runs and hides. Yeah, God bless all the good folks over in the sports information department at Hokie Vision. They're good at their jobs. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I, I, I do not envy anyone in that department right now because trying to spin all that we've seen over the, pre, over the, the last four games Trying to spin that in a positive fashion is is as hard as it is as hard as it gets. Well, I mean, the, they can make a. I mean, we talked. Mike said, "Would things change if they beat Miami?" Yeah, of course. I think that the what we've seen is tough. Obviously, especially now knowing. I mean, we never assumed Duke was going to be a good team. I think now we've seen enough of Boston College to know that Boston College probably is a bottom three team in the ACC, bottom four. Who knows? Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, to write this ship, it's going to take a lot. But, I mean, this is something that for Virginia Tech, outside of, you know, 1992, when maybe Frank Beamer was in a similar situation, and granted he was given that grace and he turned it around, with a wholesale change, of assistant coaches, by the way. But Virginia Tech fans aren't used to having a coach on the hot seat. So we're all in new territory. With Babcock's not in a situation where you're going to lose your stud defensive coordinator, your historically good defensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator who people think should have a shot of actually being in the College Football Hall of Fame, which is not normal for a coordinator, while at the same time your program's seemingly in peril, we're all in uncharted water. Yeah, which, which will make. I mean, we're talking from the perspective of, and the sky seems to be falling, and there are things that can be done, and God willing, hopefully they will. Throughout the course of the season, that make the situation look not as dire as it is today, and I think we're all making assumptions based on how dire things look today. But at the end of the day, we're through a third of the season give or take. And 
I respect what you're saying, Ricky. I, I, I'm playing the optimist and I'm playing the devil's advocate, but there really isn't that much outside of just buying into the initial assumptions that we made at the beginning of the season that would lead anyone to believe that there's going to be a significant improvement going forward in a schedule where the competition is only going to get harder. Yeah, I mean, they've got Virginia waiting for them at the end of the year, and I think we all know that even though Virginia has looked a bit uneven through the first quarter of the season, um, they definitely look like a better team than Virginia Tech right now. You've got Notre Dame waiting in the wings. That's not going to be fun. North Carolina just gave Clemson everything they had and more, and and damn near won that game uh, and almost went to overtime against the Tigers. So North Carolina definitely has some talent. Um, I know Georgia Tech is is low, and I, I said earlier that Georgia Tech is is better than Virginia Tech. I shouldn't have said that. Tech is pro- Virginia Tech is probably better, uh, but I tell you what, there's not that big of a gap. And it would not shock me if if Georgia Tech wins that game. I guess the last thing we can touch on here, we're clearly going to have to do a second podcast this week. Yeah, yes. we'll be back at it. But what is this program? Right, we talked about the down years of the Beamer era. You look at, you know, two thousand or you know, nineteen ninety eight to two thousand eleven. They finished the season ranked. All but once. That is a 12-year period or 13-year period where you're a ranked team every year. Since then, they've only been ranked twice in a six-year gap, seven-year gap, I should say. And both of those ranked finishes are under Justin Fuente. Both of those ranked finishes, however, are with Beamer's recruits and a team that, you know, hindsight 2020 may have been more talented than we gave them credit for at the time, just seeing what some of those guys have been able to do at the professional level or the talent that at least led them to a position at the professional level. Virginia Tech isn't what it was in 2008. What's Virginia Tech today? They're a bad, they're a bad football team. <laughs> there's, no I, there's no other way, way to describe it. it. Well, hold. I actually, well, I, I, I think, I think the better question is, what is a reasonable level of expectation for this program when things are hitting on all cylinders? Because for me, I, my, my thing has always been Wisconsin. Tech should be Wisconsin when they're running on all cylinders. Tech should be in the top fifteen almost every season. They should be fighting for a division crown because let's be honest. The Big Ten West is not very good. All the talent in that conference lies in the East. Uh, Tech should be able to win their division most years, and they should be competing for conference championships against a team in usually Ohio State that is more talented than them. Nobody's expecting Virginia Tech to come out here and win the ACC while Clemson's doing what Clemson's doing on a consistent basis. But all Tech fans, I think, are asking for, and I think it's reasonable, unlike what Dan Wolken wrote in his column, I think it's reasonable for Tech fans to expect a a competitive football team year in and year out that is going to bottom out at eight wins and in, in good years win 10 to 11 games. I don't think that that's out of the, the realm of reality. And Tech fans have every right to expect that out of their football program. Now, it's going to fluctuate from year to year. But overall, for trend purposes, Virginia Tech should be in that Wisconsin-level territory. They have the facilities. 
They have the recruits around them. There really isn't a reason why it can't be done. And they have and they have the tradition behind them. It's not like Virginia Tech hasn't done this before. I mean, they might have the tradition, but do they have the facilities? And do they have the recruits around them? Well, Tech is about to have one of the best uh, dining for, for student-athletes in the country as soon as that thing gets done. The weight room's getting a complete overhaul and is, is probably going to be one of the better ones in the conference. They have a really nice indoor practice facility. I know that the there are some things like the locker room that people say aren't all that great and the athletic dorms, which is actually going to be addressed here within the next three to four years. I think if you look up and down, Tech's facilities really aren't that bad. There are some spots that you'd like to improve, but by and large, they're pretty good. And I think that Tech does have the institutional resources in order to get this thing done and be a sustained, competitive, borderline elite program in the ACC. Mike, final thoughts from you. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. I think the facilities, obviously, with the new indoor football center was built a couple of years ago. You know, you have that, like Ricky mentioned, weight rooms getting an overhaul. They got a dining facility for the student athletes being built, along with several new student athlete dorms. I think that's significant as well. So, I mean, there's it, it's not a facilities issue at Virginia Tech for the football program. We might talk a little bit differently about basketball, but certainly not the case for the football program. Um, I it, they're in a tough spot right now. And, you, you know, you could explain away a lot of things last year um, due to injuries that they had. And you lose your starting quarterback against Old Dominion. And there were a lot of things that went wrong a year ago. And, you know, the youth on defense, there's just, you could go down the list. The excuses are over for Justin Fuente and his coaching staff. You know, you got a defense that is now veteran more veteran laden than it was a year ago you have an offensive line that you know while they've been injured there are guys on there with talent that should be playing at a higher level and there's no excuse for the quarterback play at this point in time so this is a situation where the excuses are over and now instead of explaining away some of these losses and some of the issues that they had a year ago you're in a position now where it's becoming more of a repetitive thing where Virginia Tech is now struggling to win football games against teams that they should have no business losing to, let alone losing two by five touchdowns. And that's the most troubling thing about all of this. Yeah, I ain't here to justify any of it. I ain't here to justify any of it. But here's what I will say. We have been doing this for quite some time to the point where we have to do another podcast so we can tell you how, at least on paper, Despite the fact that, according to their own head coach, Miami is a diseased team, they're the two-touchdown favorite to win. I mentioned on Twitter. Uh, you know, we all... Two-touchdown favorites, man. Like, that's that's just... That's unfathomable. Yeah. No, and I, I mentioned on Twitter earlier in the week that in optimism land, we all thought Tech will roll through the first four games of the schedule. They'll rock into this Miami game undefeated. Miami might have one loss in Florida, and this could be college game day, and this will have serious divisional implications. But now, where it stands, this is just an opportunity for Justin Puente to maybe take a little bit of heat off himself. But we'll save that all for later. Until then, you've been listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. If you like what you're listening to, well, gosh, go ahead and subscribe. And while you're at it, recommend it to a friend or to the guy, your college roommate, the guy sitting in the cubicle next to you that also likes tech, whoever it may be, whatever friends you have, if you have them, recommend the pod. Also, 
leave a review on whatever podcast site you're using. Use the stars, use the little write review tool. It's very cool. It helps elevate us and it helps us give some justification for these hour and a half long rants that we go on. If you like us personally, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Alex Radio. That's Andrew Alex, spelled A L I X. You can follow Mike at Mike McDaniel CFB. You can follow Ricky at Ricky LeBlue. We will be back very, very soon to bring you Miami. Until then, thank you for listening. Go Hokies. God bless. We'll catch you soon.